Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Columbia beat the U.S. men 4-2 in Tampa on Thursday night. This was always going to be a mismatch. And with the U.S. missing its three best players, an already wide gap in quality grew wider. Columbia is real good, a legit top eight team in the world. Several of their starters would be the greatest American player of all time, and we are not going to hang with them in 2018 or 2019 and maybe ever. So let's not howl at the moon about the gulf in quality. It doesn't really matter that we lost. That's a fair result, and it's going to be a fair result anytime we face Columbia. What matters is whether we learned anything. So, Greg, why don't you run down what experiments were conducted by Dave Sarakin, by Dr. Dave Sarakin last night? <laughs> I'd be happy to, Bells. Let me uh, let me just step out of Dave Sarakin's laboratory here. Uh, lots lots of experiments. Uh, with any scientific experiment, you're gonna you're gonna need some controls, uh, some known quantities. Uh, tonight's controls, I think, were the goalkeeper, the back line, and Bobby Wood up top. Basically, everything else I think was sort of a variable. Uh, so let's let's run through those variables. Uh, first one was the formation. Yeah, uh, we saw it second half against Mexico. He busted it out again again to. Uh, last night we ran the four two three one. Yeah, and we were we both wanted that, so that's uh, we'll put one in the win column on that front. How did it work? Yeah, well, positive we'll, step from Dave. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about how it worked in just a second. So what are the okay? Well, what are the other experiments? So uh, the lineup he used for that four two three one, which for the first time I think in the Sarakin era uh, featured a will trapless midfield. Uh, Michael Bradley and Kellen Acosta anchored the double pivot with Julian Green reprising his second half uh, Mexico role as the attacking mid. Yes. And I would say, you know, the two sort of questions you want to answer with that experiment is how obviously how good are Bradley and Acosta in a double pivot and how good was Green as an attacking catalyst in the middle of the field? We can... uh, work through those outcomes later next experiment next experiment we're out on the wings uh tim wea uh out on the right he'd been featured mainly on the left in the past so Mm -hmm. he was sort of the christian pulisic stand-in last night uh on the right side of the field that's what we're hoping anyways that that's christian pulisic's position um his opposite number on the left side kenny saif yeah saif the the Israeli-American who uh, made a one-time switch last year, or was it – oh, no, it was two years ago now, a year and a half ago, has not been healthy much in that in the last 18 months. So I think a lot of people, including us, were excited to see what he had to offer, particularly in a partnership with Anthony Robinson on the left side. And then, you know, Wea got his chance – got another chance really to attack on the wing just from a different side so what were the outcomes of these experiments i guess i'll start and say one of the outcomes was a lot of goals it was an exciting game particularly in the second half five goals in the second half alone a goal in the first half from james rodriguez that uh, was 
absolutely breathtaking. So I'll just run through the scoring summary if you don't mind, Greg. No, not at all. Yeah, definitely was not a drab affair, huh? No. It, it was a mess, a lot of it. but <laughs> A beautiful, glorious mess. Yes, take us through. Take us through the, uh, the, the box score. Okay, 36th minute, uh, 0-1, Colombia, James Galazzo, a Carlos Vela-esque curler from a tight angle. He got uh, Kenny Saif kind of on the opposite of goal side. What's the opposite of goal side? Uh, the wrong side. The wrong side. That's yeah. the wrong side to be on. But you can't blame. I mean, we can blame Kenny for a lot of stuff tonight that happened last night. This one is this one is not one of those key things. And then uh, he just turned and I mean curled it, literally curled it in the very very top corner. Totally unstoppable shot for Stefan. Got to just tip your cap, right? That that was poetic. Uh, I won't go that far yet, but I'll say. I mean, the the shot itself was was poetry. Yes. So you want it's not poetic, but the shot was poetry. The shot was poetry. Uh, I'm not willing to say that that's an unstoppable sequence. We didn't do everything right and just got beat by a uh, un, unstoppable shot. That right. happens sometimes. This right. wasn't, I don't think, one of those occasions. Okay. Well, I'm saying what I what I meant to say was that it was unstoppable for Stefan when oh, it was sure. flying Stephen. through the air. Uh, yes. Brooks and Saif perhaps could have done a little bit more. Um, the rest of the first half was scary, particularly as they attacked down our <laughs> left flank. Robinson was targeted, harassed, and bullied all night after he he was uh, exploited a little bit by Brazil a few weeks ago. Colombia obviously identified that as a weakness, but Colombia didn't score again uh, despite several chances. And then we came out in the first half and scored two goals in the first 10 minutes. The first was... What a comeback. Yeah, what a comeback, Bells. It felt weird, you know, totally <laughs> against the run of play. There was a looping cross from Anthony Robinson in the 50th minute that Davinson Sanchez got uh, a little bit of his head on, and it essentially ricocheted right at the right into the middle of the box, and Acosta met it in the air and roofed it. Scrappy goal, but good for Acosta, blasting into the box like that. Yeah, great movement from uh, from one of our holding mids. And then three minutes later, there was a sequence where Acosta tackled James Rodriguez in the box. It squibbed out to Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood beat a guy and then got dispossessed by Radamel Falcao in the center circle, pretty much. Um, Radamel Falcao then was dispossessed by famously scrappy Julian Green. <laughs> Who went to ground, took the ball from him, played Timmy Weah down the left wing. Timmy Weah then provided what I would say is the nicest moment of the entire year for the U.S. men's national team. Took a couple positive touches at the defender and then slipped Bobby Wood in behind. Just a perfectly weighted ball and Wood thrashed it into the goal as he was sandwiched by two Colombian defenders. 2-1 USA. 2-1, 2-1, everything's golden, Tim Weah unstoppable. Uh, that ball that ball megged Sanchez, I believe, on its way through to Wood's foot. Yes. Which just adds a nice, a nice uh, again, a nice layer of, uh, I don't know what I'd call it, sort of Tim Weah swagger. Yeah. Davinson Sanchez, the Tottenham Hotspur 
central defender, one of the best center backs in the world. I think it's fair to say. And then Colombia roared back. Three minutes later, well, two minutes later, Juan Quintero, the River Plate uh, attacking midfielder, came on as a sub, and he really uh, he really made his mark on the game. He received a throw in on in a pretty non threatening situation on our left flank. That's a theme of the night. Juked Julian Green and played a nice ball in for Santiago Arias, the right back who was all over Anthony Robinson all night. Uh, Arias pulled it back for Carlos Baca, who beat Miazga to it and dispatched it coolly into the side netting far corner. So uh, then it got worse, and the big one was in the 74th minute. This is the go-ahead goal for Colombia, the game winner. And uh, you know we've we've had a lot of debate about this internally at Scuff Global Headquarters, and I know there's a lot of debate on the internet about it. But it was a clearance from deep uh, when both of our center backs were up in the box for some reason. U.S. corner kick, yeah, we had it was a U.S. corner kick. So Miazga and Brooks obviously are going to be attacking as they should be. Yeah, but it, it the clearance happened to you know twenty thirty seconds after the corner kick. There was kind of the ball got cycled around by us and then and then dumped into the box again. But yeah, it was a corner kick. Cleared cleared just innocuously high into the air into our half and Anthony Robinson got ragdolled by Carlos Baca. Baca played it back to Quintero and then Radamel Falcao split Michael Bradley and Marky Delgado got into the box and received the pass from Quintero and just put it in. I don't know what most of you out there think. I think there's probably a little blame for Delgado, a little blame for Bradley, and a little blame for Robinson. I know you have a different view of it, Greg. Yeah, I'm going to disagree hard on that one. Uh, I don't think you can really assign Marky Delgado any of the blame on that sequence. Uh, Delgado was literally pressuring the initial... Uh, 60 yard clearance from Columbia. That's how far advanced he was. He was he was actually closer to the top of the Columbia box than he was to midfield uh, when that long ball got hit. Uh, yeah, that's true. As it bounced over Robinson's head, kind of a Bocanegra versus Ghana moment, it bounces over Robinson's head. Uh, Delgado recognizes that uh, that Falcao's going, uh, but Falcao has a 20 yard head start on him, and, and Bradley has probably a 10 yard head start on the on Falcao, Delgado takes off and he's going full speed the entire time. Uh, That's true. And basically, basically Delgado works as hard as he possibly can to just come up short to be able to influence the play, um, which means that there's nothing more he could have done. I mean, he, he could have run faster, but I think he was running top speed. So if he were a faster human being, he could have done something, but he's not. And yeah, uh, I guess again. Yeah, I, I've watched so this a lot of here's times. Here's my question. Bells. Okay, go ahead. Uh, if Bradley had been running as hard as Delgado, as early as Delgado, is there any danger there? Uh, not, not is there any danger? There's clearly it's a dangerous situation. Is is Bradley going to be in position to make that play? Yes. Yeah. And your argument is is Bradley Bradley saw it as early as Delgado did, which is which is what I'm not quite so sure about. I think Delgado had like a clear view of how everything was playing out. Bradley had his back to Falcao for most of the sequence, so that's where I 
would assign a little blame to Delgado. I'm only I'm only trying to be super fair because I'm a big fan of Marky Delgado and I'm trying to check <laughs> myself. I know, and I'm a big fan of I'm not I, I'm a fan of Michael Bradley. I think he's taken a ton of wrath that he doesn't deserve. Uh, but on this one, I've got I've got to put it on him. I think I put it on him as soon as I saw it. I was texting saying that's an awareness problem. That Michael Bradley is usually a, a, a very alert player, uh, and that was an awareness issue more than a speed issue. Yeah. Uh, it's it was when he started his run, and you can say he didn't see Falcao, but he knew Falcao was there, and you shouldn't have to see him to know to basically say what would Falcao be doing if he wanted to be dangerous here. He would be sprinting into the space behind me. Bradley should basically be going on that assumption. Okay, so you you pin it on Bradley almost completely. Um, I I pin Falcao being open on Bradley completely. That's what I would say. Yeah. Rob, uh, you know Robinson. who wouldn't have left Falcao wide open, Bells? <laughs> I do, Mister Tyler Adams. That would that goal. I tweeted that after you and I discussed it, so I basically plagiarized your idea, but. Um, <laughs> That's wouldn't won't be the first time or the last time. Uh, Tyler Adams, Tyler Adams would not have allowed that goal to happen. I think that's pretty clear. So that's kind of a silver lining here. I think. <laughs> I I agree. I mean, I don't think that goal exists with Tyler Adams on the field for us. And I don't. I don't. Not just that particular one. I think uh, any number of counterattacking goals get wiped off the board with Tyler Adams on the field. Yeah. Tyler Adams tangent. No, it's good to have a Tyler Adams tangent because there's. You know, it's let's not forget. I mean, we're we're never going to beat Colombia when Colombia is playing as well as Colombia can. Uh, but we would have we would have been a much better team with Adams, McKenney, and Pulisic, obviously. And so let's let's acknowledge I'll that push, where, where we can. I'll push back there. I'll push back there. Even Bell's. We'll never outplay Colombia when Colombia is playing as well as they can. We can beat Colombia. We can we can win a game on a day uh, against Colombia, even when Colombia is playing that well. It's just we have to do all the we have to be able to do all those little things and then get a little bit of a a little bit of the luck, but we didn't we didn't give ourselves a chance yesterday. Okay, well I don't know if we're gonna beat Columbia with with this team on their <laughs> best day. That maybe, maybe a better team, which I expect we will have in a couple of years. On to the right. on to yeah, the fourth the third goal. On to the fourth goal. This time, uh, James put the icing on the cake by. Uh, from about the same spot that he scored his goal from, looping a ball at the back post, and Miguel Borja performed an overhead kick that trickled in past. Trickle is a little bit of a uh, a strong word. It it just wasn't smoked into the net, and it bounced into the net uh, past Yedlin, and Stefan got a fingertip to it, but it uh, it tinged in off the off the far post, and that was basically the end of the game there. My question for you is: Do we blame Stefan at all for not for not getting to that shot? Uh, if he had gotten to that, it would have been an excellent save. Uh, I'd have to watch it again to really like dissect his footwork on the play. But the reason that his fingertip wasn't going to influence it is because he didn't have a like a really strong push off towards the ball. Uh, it was more of like a You'd almost call it like a windmill. Uh, if you want me to get technical on goalkeeper stuff here. Please Bells. do. Please do. Uh, it's almost like a windmill save where he doesn't uh, push out and extend his body towards the ball. What he basically does is rotating about his center of gravity, like basically around his hip, to bring his hands uh, to ball level mm-hmm. quickly. 
rather than just falling, you, you bring your feet up and you basically spin like a pinwheel uh, to get your hands down quicker. I see. Um, but when you do that, you're not going to you're not going to have too much push on the ball. You're basically hoping that the ball is powerful enough that the pace of the shot uh, off of your hand pushes it wide. And he had a long way to push it and there wasn't very much pace on the ball. So that almost worked against him. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there were more pace on the ball, he might have been able to push it wide. It, he might have. I mean, yeah, it might have gone a little bit wider on its own, uh, on its own at that point. But it was. He had a long way to push. Uh, and the faster the ball's going, sort of the the less you're going to affect its angle too. But it was. It was. Uh, it's a. It's a shot. The reason he might not have had his feet set is because it's a, such an unorthodox shot technique. So if you're not expecting the overhead kick. Uh, goalkeepers work in rhythm with, you know, shooters, windups. If you're not expecting that, his feet might not have been set for that shot at that moment. So he wouldn't have been able to push off an extent. I'm, again, I'd have to re- watch the replay a couple of times to see if, if you'd really say he should have seen it coming and been set earlier. Uh, or if it's just, again, a hat tip for Columbia pulling off an audacious overhead kick. Okay, well, I mean, Stefan's still going to be the first choice goalkeeper, I think, and... Uh, this probably doesn't change that one way or another. Let's go back to the the experiments, uh, the other outcomes of the experiments besides this uh, goal fest in the second half. <laughs> Should we start with the uh, the Saif Robinson partnership? I think we should start there. I think that was the most catastrophic result uh, out of all the experiments. And so, what went wrong? All right, so I'm going to be in the minority here, uh, but I'm actually going to blame Seth for the majority of Robinson's issues. Robinson has limitations. Uh, I don't think he's a particularly strong 1v1 defender, but I think Seth's like, almost like inexplicable, like baffling defensive positioning and decisions, uh, I think really hung Robinson out to dry. Hmm. Yeah, you sent and me. A, by, you sent me a video. Oh, or, go no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, sort of by extension, like it, it, it's it, there's just this domino effect that pull that everyone ends up sort of either out of position or really, really confused, especially when they're on such short sort of training notice. Uh, they, they've had such little time to train together. Yeah, so maybe this is something that could be ironed out with more familiarity, or or better coaching, <laughs> better coaching. <laughs> Because cause your your problem was like Saif was sort of popping forward as if he were pressing or like, you know, ducking behind somebody in possession, somebody, a Colombian player with the ball, like not staying goal side. And maybe he had some instructions yeah. that we don't understand or something. Well, so what I'll kind of I'll kind of go off on a, a defensive tactics bit here. It looked for the most part like. We, we talked about the U.S.'s formation being a 4-2-3-1, and that was in possession. In possession, Julian Green was clearly uh, the attacking mid, Bobby Wood clearly the striker. Mm-hmm. When we were defending, when we were defending, it looked, it was, I mean, it was a pretty pure 4-4-2 in like the Roy Hodgson sense. Uh, and Julian Green and Bobby Wood were basically the identical, doing the identical jobs, just uh, symmetrically left and right. Yep. Um, the one guy who looked, I mean, so when you're playing a 4-4-2, you're just running two banks of four, midfielders and, and defenders, and you just all shift together and you just try to keep the play on the outside of that 4-4-2 zone, that, uh, those two banks of four. You just want the play to move backwards and sideways 
If it does penetrate, you sort of all collapse around it, force it back out, and you just wait for Columbia to grow impatient and to overreach on a pass or to have a bad touch, and then you pounce and take it and go. So we were conceding possession, and I'm going to be honest, but I was like, I think it was working. I think that was a workable plan to contain Columbia. Except that uh, the the left front corner of our two banks of four was kind of uh, kind of all over the place. Yeah, Seth was completely erratic. Like Seth would uh, go like screaming upfield to defend like a center back on the ball when Columbia were in clear possession. Uh, he'd go like sprinting into the center of the field when Acosta and Bradley already had a play bottled up, and when you break one link in that four four two chain. Like everyone else gets pulled. And so Seth would go flying in in a situation where he was never going to disrupt the play. And they just find that space out. And now it looks like Anthony Robinson's doing really poorly. Uh, But it's really Robinson has to decide whether it's his job now to come out and take that. That's why so many times you saw like Robinson and Bradley coming out together towards the sideline or unsure of who should go out. It's because they weren't sure who was supposed to cover for Seth Mm. Uh, in that situation is, is, is my read on it is. They haven't been playing long enough to know, all right, well, Seth's beat, so I go or do you go? Or uh, And, again, Robinson made plenty of mistakes of his own, uh, but he was really put in some bad, bad spots. Yeah, and that's what's weird about all this is that Saif was sort of billed as an excellent two-way defender, a two-way player who can you know defend 1v1 and is, has the experience and the polish to sort of understand his role and lock things down on his side. He didn't do that. I mean, I'm not, I don't have the same, I haven't watched it back as much as you have, and I don't have the same insight into like his positioning, but he sure didn't look like that, you know, just on the first watch. Like that was like, we were sold a bill of goods on that. (laughs) Yeah. Seth was, Seth was pretending like Seth was pretending to play defense. Uh, almost everyone else, Tim way included, uh, was like fully committed to just staying goal side. You don't have to. Do, you don't have to do anything flashy in that four four two. Most of it is literally just keep your body between uh, the attacker and the goal. Like that's that's all you have to do. It's not always easy, but it's not complicated. Uh, and Seth would just go sprinting. Like to, it looks like he's working really hard or he's got all this energy, uh, but he constantly was sprinting himself out of position and forcing some some real. Uh, bad consequences on down the line. Yeah, let's talk. So let's move on from Seth and talk about the consequences on down the line because I don't think Robinson should get off scot-free here. No, no, Um, no. He he had, you know, like in the third minute, uh, shots fired when he and uh, John Brooks ran into each other and Arias just kind of shimmied past them with the ball without even touching the ball. And then... Played a played a ball into Radamel Falcao right at the penalty marker that Falcao skied over. It should have been one zero right there. Three minutes into the game, um, and you know Robinson's role in the in the third goal we've already discussed. Uh, so much joy for Colombia came down the left wing. I mean, uh, came down their right wing, our left flank. So I guess the question is, just to cut to the chase, we came into this game thinking of Robinson as the first choice left back. Is he still the first choice left back? Why? Why not? Uh, I'll say. I'll say he is. I'll say uh, after the Brazil game, where he, you know, he was sort of the the butt of a lot of jokes after that game as well. 
I came out of it saying he has these clear limitations. He's still our number one. And the next time we play a team as good as Brazil, he's still going to get beat pretty badly. Uh, and that's sort of what happened. I, I think Robinson will be a liability defensively 1v1. Uh, and I think the challenge for the US, the next U.S. manager until some other left back emerges is to disguise those, is to find ways to protect him as much as possible. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that puts Robinson behind Ben Sweat or Eric Lehigh or uh, name or another he, left. Via, or hey, Viafania. Viafania. What's well, yeah? What's what's your take? Do you think it's time to bring Viafania in to stabilize things? Yeah, I mean, it it works in Robinson's favor that the position is so weak as it has been for all of time. But um, <laughs> is Beasley the next man up? I saw somebody, Jason Foster, tweeted on uh, tweeted yesterday. If this game showed us anything, it's that Demarcus Beasley is still the best American left back. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did you watch the Honduras game, bud? Um, but but um, but you know, questions continue to be raised about Robinson. I think he's still probably the first choice. I wouldn't mind uh, if Viafania was brought back in to compete with him in the next camp. Viafania is a little younger than Lehigh, a lot younger than Beasley. And really, I'm just hopeful that George Bello continues to develop. And <laughs> I mean, seriously, I know that's... I know. People, I, people, are, people are going to be like, well, you're crazy. He's only 16. He's only played two MLS games. But... Uh, He's only 16, and he's already played, started two MLS games for the best, arguably the best team in the league. Hopefully, he, you know, keeps getting minutes as these as the playoffs come around, and maybe he'll get a look in the January camp. And you know, there's an outside chance he he's on the roster for the Gold Cup. It's not in, totally inconceivable. So, no, we have we have a. It seems we have a lot riding uh, on on George Bellow or left back. Uh, in that 15 to 18 age group. Yeah. I mean, there's others, uh, George Bellow, uh, you know, the reason people listen to this show is because we talk about the young guys. That's the big reason. That's the big reason. So why not? Let's talk about him <laughs> a little bit. Jalen, Jalen Lindsay, uh, can play right back and left back. He's been pretty good for sporting KC this year. Um, Danilo Acosta still, Danilo still Acosta, not like he's still around. Yeah. Yeah. He's like twenty. I mean, he's not a full, fully matured player yet. That's right. And neither, neither is Anthony Robinson. You know, you, you're hoping that Robinson's going to be learning from all of these experiences. Yeah, yeah. So let's just keep the competition open and keep rooting for Anthony to get better. I think the big, the big thing to watch will be his games with Wigan uh, through the rest of this year. You know, can he can he become a little bit more focused? And I think you said. Yesterday, didn't you say his uh, his lack of urgency is going to be a thing, something like that? Yeah, he's yeah he, uh, he has a tendency to like check out. You can see his body language change where he stands straight up during a play when he's very much still uh, needed. Like uh, yeah, he's very much still involved in the immediate immediate uh, outcome of the play, um, and he just sort of takes himself out mentally and physically. And um, there were a couple of instances of that yesterday as well where uh, it it didn't cost us, but it could have. Um, right. so yeah, that's, I, I wonder too, and I'm not, I'm not making, trying to make excuses for, for Robinson, but the guy has been playing nonstop. Like the championship schedule is brutal and Wigan play him 90 minutes every, every game. It's true. Uh, they do they're an playing Saturdays, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, uh, cup games. Like he is just, 
putting and they and I as far as, far as I know they ask him to bomb forward constantly. That's t- got to be taking a toll on the guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he might have more claim on uh, on the excuse of fatigue than Christian Pulisic did for the Bolivia game last last spring. <laughs> yeah, no, but, just tons of games, short time. For, yeah, for Robinson. That's a good. That's a good shot. I hadn't really thought of that, but it's very true. Um, so, so one thing that's interesting about the whole Robinson issue is what he was one of the controls in these experiments and, uh, the control kind of failed a little bit. And, and then there, we should talk about John Brooks a little bit too, cause I don't think he had a great game either. And he's another one of the controls. So I feel like there's more questions about that left side of the defense after the game than there were before. Uh, more questions and answers about those guys, I think. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you that. I think the questions can just be, uh, is Brooks necessarily like uh, as good as we think he is? I don't think the question is, is Brooks the number one center back or number, you know, part of the number one pairing? Um, I think that answer is still very much, yes, Brooks is part of the number one pairing. But I think we just, I think it's good to sort of take that realistic look and say, He's a you know he's a mid table Bundesliga center back. He's not going to be a world beater. We're just going to need him to. We need him to be for us in in games like this if we want to have a chance. Right. But but yeah, John Anthony Brooks isn't isn't a uh, you he's know no coveted Champions League center back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, he just looked a little to steal a term from you looked a little bit like a traffic cone out there. He just doesn't look very mobile. And, you know, you combine that with Saif's, the problems that Saif encountered and sort of maybe created and, and Robinson's susceptibility is a, and a class of Columbia is a big, big problem up that side of the field for us. Yes. Yeah. The Saif Robinson, uh, Brooks sort of left-sided trifecta. Um, they didn't cover up mistakes very well. Again, Tyler Adams probably would have helped them out a lot. Yeah, because if, if we're going to talk about the left side, that's also Michael Bradley's side of the center midfield. He was sort of the left pivot. Uh, and I don't think he did a lot as much as he would have in his prime to help cover up some of those mistakes. Okay, let's move on to... Uh to the midfield. Well, should we talk about, yeah, let's move on to the midfield. Bradley and Acosta, which I guess you were just already talking about. Move in that direction. Uh, how did, how did you think they did as a double pivot? The old, the old warrior and the, um, and the young Colorado Rapids star. Uh, so I think all eyes were sort of on Michael Bradley. And I think uh, probably a full four fifths, I'm going to say four-fifths of the U.S. fan base probably wanted Bradley to fail, uh, which is really kind of depressing for me yeah, to say. Sad. Uh, but he didn't, right? I mean, the game started, and Michael Bradley didn't, like, fall on his face. He didn't forget how to play soccer. Uh, he looked calm. He looked he looked just like what Michael Bradley sort of always looks like in the center of our midfield. Um, he was calm on the ball. He, he could connect a pass. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he, he also carried some of the – limitations that a Michael Bradley midfield carries uh, and that even though he was calm and can connect pass, did you think we were really able to play through the midfield very well? 
No, I don't. I thought, just to piggyback on what you said, I thought he, he did a pretty good job of breaking stuff up in the middle of the field in the first 30, 40 minutes. And like you said, he was calm. He and Wea were probably the calmest Americans on the ball in that first half, which was which there was not a lot to cheer about from the U.S. But he doesn't – Bradley doesn't offer any penetrating passes forward. Uh, a lot of lateral stuff, a lot of dropping between the center backs, just tapping it back and forth. Um, so, no, I didn't think we were able to play through him, Acosta, and Green at all, really. Yeah, no, no real fluidity there, and I don't. I'm not trying to put that all on Michael Bradley. Like he gums everything up. Uh, I'm just saying that there wasn't there wasn't much to that center midfield, and uh, the reason that's not the worst thing in the world is because Michael Bradley's no longer the nailed on first choice center mid. He's sort of competing for a starting spot, or more likely, he's competing for a backup role. Right? Yeah, I think of him right now as kind of trap plus. You know, he's, he's, he's pretty similar to trap, but more, but better. So I, I'd, I'd like to see him in the first choice 23. For, but, for now, we'll say for yeah, now, for now, you know, until, until Richie Ledesma and Russell Canoose <laughs> and Chris Durkin come along. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he really moved the needle in his direction last night. He wasn't bad. I, I agree with you. He wasn't nearly as bad as everybody says, but he didn't really move the needle. He was, as you have uh, just um, stridently argued, culpable for that third goal. So, <laughs> Culpable for Falcao getting open. That's what I'm very specific about what I assign blame for. <laughs> okay. Which was uh, kind of the key thing in that goal. So I don't know why we have to split that hair. <laughs> I think I think saying that Robinson was very culpable for Columbia controlling the ball 40 yards from our goal is also pretty important in okay. that equation. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So so is there more to say about Bradley? I mean, he's he was fine. He wasn't great. He did... He was culpable for Falcao getting open on the third goal. Uh, I'll help transition us over to the other half of the pivot. I thought Bradley and Acosta both ran out of gas. Uh, I thought they both like were had really heavy legs from maybe the 65th, 70th minute on. Which is when things uh, turned against us. Yeah, that's when we lost any foothold in the game whatsoever. Yeah. Acosta, of course, got the goal, the first goal, which uh, he should be applauded for and and has been. So let me applaud him for that. And then let me also do another quick Tyler Adams rant tangent, Tyler Adams tangent. Uh, Acosta scored a great goal from six yards out uh, coming from the uh, his role as a double pivot. Yep. Which means for, for everyone who's sort of like we can't put Tyler Adams there because it it wrecks his ability to get forward uh, or we lose that, that uh, aspect of his game that he could really add. We don't. Uh, That would be an ideal position for Tyler Adams to pick his moments and then have the incredible burst that no one's going to track him from a deep midfield spot. Yeah. uh, At that pace, even if you saw it and wanted to, you wouldn't be uh, uh, whoever sort of monitoring him wouldn't be able to. Yeah. I almost like it better. I like his, I like an Adams run 
from the six better than an Adams run from the eight because it's more devastating. And uh, I think, like you said, nobody's going to track him from that deep. It's also just more exciting to watch, you know, when you see a when you see Tyler, you know, Tyler Adams, maybe the fastest player on our team uh, outside of DeAndre Yedlin, streaking up the middle uh, as the ball gets played wide. Get yeah, on like chills. that forty-five yard runway. Yeah, some chills running down your spine. Um, totally agree. So that's so that was cool, and it and it showed something about the system that could work. That applies to Adams. How how would you rate Acosta's performance overall? Uh, it's mixed. My my uh, opinion of Acosta is still mixed. I think he's not tidy enough on the ball. Uh, I guess I should say I'd like him to be tidier. I don't think I don't think his lack of tidiness at this point rules him out of uh, of playing time. <clears throat> no. Uh, I wish you were cleaner. Um, but he, the thing he does really well is I think he does read the game pretty well, and he's got a quick burst. Uh, I thought he and Bradley both were good at when we were in our four four two and actually disciplined. I thought they were both good at picking out uh, Columbia passes, intercepting them, and then being able to. Uh, I shouldn't basically just the interception. They were good at intercepting. Once they intercepted it, we weren't great at doing anything else with it. But I thought they were good, and I thought that's a good indication of that plan being able to work. Yeah, when, once we once they'd intercept it, they'd, they'd give the ball to Julian Green, and then he would just start drifting sideways. <laughs> yeah, when we get to Julian Green, we'll, we'll have to address that. But uh, yeah, they, they there wasn't any there wasn't any like lightning counterattacking really going on, save the one very uh, very impressive lightning counterattack. Yeah. The, the one for the, our second goal. Um, we should just talk about Delgado while we're on this position because I, at least I'd like to, because yeah, I, I wanted to see, your guy. Yeah. I wanted to see a Bradley Delgado double pivot with Acosta at the, you know, quote unquote 10. And we, of course we didn't see that, but I did think when Delgado came on, he, he brought a sort of tidiness and possession and, I mean, he, you know, he wasn't playing like 30-yard through balls, but he was advancing possession forward in a sort of rhythm-building way. That's my – that's our like common parlance about Delgado. That was really nice. That was really nice and uh, a, a great addition to the game. And um, I would have liked to see that for 90 minutes just to see if we could get a bit more of a foothold on a game with him in there, uh, being tidy, building rhythm doing his thing i think bell yeah he came on bells and his first three touches the first three interactions just made me smile thinking about how happy you were going to be watching him <laughs> uh he came on for tim wea so he didn't come on to play center mid he came on to play like out wide but i think he basically just did all of his center mid stuff out in that wide area yeah and uh, he, he tucked in a little bit he wasn't like he wasn't he didn't have his feet on the chalk uh sure he was tucked in he was basically playing like a slightly wider central midfielder but if you put him if you put him in that three which i'm hoping he plays against peru and i I actually expect him to uh if you put him in the central three i think he is going to i think you're exactly right and i think we're going to see it i think he'll open the door for other players to hit those 30 yard through balls i think he puts them in a position where they have the time and they have the he puts them in a spot where they get they get to see the entire field with time 
Uh, and I think he's if, if we have players who can hit that ball, he's going to free him up to do it. Yeah, that's what that's what made me smile about those first three interactions because they were all like that, uh, where he just you know he just plays simple. He kind of gets out of a little difficult situation, and and then all of a sudden his one of his teammates has a has the ball in stride, moving forward with the whole field in front of them. So, I hope we see that. Should we talk about? Hope we see that against Peru. Should we talk about Green? Yeah, let's go. Let's go through Julian Green's uh, sort of second shot at the number ten. You uh, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt after the after the Mexico game that he was pretty mediocre in that contest. Did he do any better last night? I. Go ahead and, and call me stubborn if you want to. I'm going to say no. He he uh, was sort of exactly the same in that he offers no sort of insightful passing. He offers no ability to drive with the ball at his feet. Uh, basically, he offers no qualities that I think we're auditioning for as an attacking mid. That's, I'm sure that's harsh, but uh, that's, where, that's where I'm at on Julian Green still. People are going to argue... Well, he, uh, you know, he had that rip from 20 yards. That was a foot wide of the post in the first half. He, he, he was the one who won the tackle on Falcao and then sprang uh, Timmy Weah down the wing. So he did some, he did some positive things. Therefore, he should yeah. keep getting, he should keep, keep getting a chance at that spot. I mean, all I, right, I can see the tweets already. Oh yeah. And and I I marked that time down of his shot. I was marking down a lot of Julian Green timestamps, uh, but eventually Kenny Seth's timestamps took over. <laughs> uh, but I I think I think I'll be trying to uh, I'll be trying to compile those somewhere. Uh, Green's shot for me is marked down as sort of a neutral play. Uh, it's not even necessarily like a positive or he, he was he was given the ball in a good spot uh, by, by I Robinson. think by Robinson. yeah. So that was one of the few times Robinson to good effect got up up the flank. Uh, he's given the ball by Robinson and he creates enough space for a window for a window to shoot, but barely. And he's moving away from the goal. He hits, hits a decent shot, but there was no real threat to it. It missed the post by a foot, but, uh, Ospina was like, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's like pulling his arms back away from it as his head is like clearing the post. It was never going to actually score. And I feel like, again, it's a situation where the shot is probably the wrong decision. He should be looking for, you should be looking to draw traffic with the threat of a shot and then be looking for some kind of a slipped pass. Uh, I think he had Acosta at the top of the box uh, with a little more space and time than he had. Yeah, so in my mind, it's not a, it's not a terrible decision, but it's, it's like a neutral. It's, it's like I felt like there would probably have been other decisions that would have been as likely or more likely to lead to an actual better scoring chance. All right, well uh, – Go ahead. So how about how about the so then I was going to say so the next thing is the actual uh, Bobby Wood goal that Julian Green was instrumental in creating, right? Yes. All right, that one I have I have no criticism of, of uh, Julian Green. He he was uh, he made a good play. I mean, yeah, he was he, he gets all of the credit in the world for making that tackle, swiping the ball from Falcao, uh, and then playing the pass to a, at, the, at in that moment of transition a wide open Tim Weah. Uh, but I don't think that that's a, in any way an argument for Julian Green to play the attacking mid. And, I mean, is your argument that he's so good at 
tackling that he's such a good destroyer that he's going to lead to counterattacks. If you want a destroyer in there, Julian Green's not the guy to do it. So mm-hmm. that's not a, something Julian Green does on a consistent enough basis where that's what you're going to use as your as your argument for him playing the 10. Uh, we'll get maybe we'll maybe get to this in, a, in just a little bit, but if anything, uh, the player who showed the qualities of, of a 10 there would have been Tim Weah. Yeah, played the pass of the the pass of the year. A pass that you cannot imagine Julian Green ever playing, to be honest. He's never, he's never done. I haven't seen him unbalance a defense at any point uh, with a pass. I've never seen him make a pass that like throws the defense into disarray. Yeah, he's a very straightforward player, and I've seen enough. And I'm counting on you to uh, to do a GIF thread that shows that he wasn't that great again, because I feel like this is a this is a persistent fiction perpetrated by the pro green <laughs> conspiracy it's like uh, a, it's an un, it's it's a it's an elusive thing to to track down and eradicate but we're gonna have to do it and again i don't think he's terrible but i just feel like all of the things that people think he's say that he does well like his close control or his i uh i don't even know if people talk about anything besides his close control uh uh, it's close control, man. That's what it is. He's he is pretty clean. He is pretty clean with the ball. You got to hand that to him. I'll give him that. I just I would much rather. Here's my thing: if you have good close control, but you have, I'm gonna say he has absolutely zero vision. Like I don't think Julian Green can spot a pass unless uh, it's like a a 20 yard passing window to hit it through. I don't think he can see a pass. Uh, so no matter how good your control is, if you then can't do anything with the ball. Sort of what's the point? I'd rather have a Kellen Acosta who's less tidy, but the two times out of a game that he does control it, he could actually hit a uh, dangerous ball. Yeah. He could hit some kind of a chance-creating pass. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's uh, let's move on from Julian because, I mean, we're probably – I suppose we'll probably see him as the 10 against Peru, but we can't do nothing about it. Uh, no, I'm. I, I still think that I think uh, Uncle Dave is going to do quite a bit of rotating, and we might see we might see a, a change there. And I'm I'm hopeful okay. to see anyone else get a run out. All right, keep my fingers crossed. Should we talk quickly about uh, Kenny Saif in the attack? Uh, we talked a lot about his defensive problems. I thought um, in the attack he was too slow for this level, honestly. Uh, just is not going to beat anybody. Obviously, he has quality, but he looks in possession a little bit like an Ali Bedoya or Paul Ariola, which means he's you know he's hit by historical standards solidly U.S. men's national team caliber. But he's not gonna he's not gonna change the game, and he's not gonna he's not gonna threaten a defense. He sure didn't threaten Colombia last night. Yeah, he wasn't dangerous. At, at no point was Kenny Safe dangerous, right? He drew he drew one foul towards the the end line, but the danger there was Callan Acosta hitting him into space into a wide open space, uh, and him just getting to the ball first and getting and getting sort of bundled over. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know what what else there is to say about Saif. Let's let's move on to more uh, exciting stuff, and that is Timothy Weah, the eighteen year old who is proudly not playing for Paris Saint-Germain. He, uh, he 
decided not to go on loan uh, because he thought it would be better to train with PSG for another few months. Interestingly, he told Grant Wall after the game that he thinks he's going to go on loan this winter. So that'll be kind of exciting to see what happens there. Um, but how did you how did you think he played? Uh, Tim Way, I think, was a real like a real breath of fresh air. And again, outside of the Pulisic, McKenny, Adams uh, frustration with them with their absences, like if those guys sort of didn't exist, we would be everyone would be in, like enthralled with Timmy Way. Uh, I think not just, and not just for his personality, which is a blast. Like, uh, <laughs> like let's just, let's have him be in every interview from now on for us soccer. Uh, but his quality on the field, I thought was in completely like on, on display last night. Uh, and, and remember this is a kid who hasn't played on his first team in since August, since middle August. Yeah. It's been a while, two months. So, so it's not like, he, I mean, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be that clean he should he should look a little rustier but he doesn't uh i know tell me who who's already posted his video of uh, uh a dozen or so of his touches in that game uh usmnt videos was on yeah. top of it yeah uh so you watch that and, and the question i have for for, for about like tim way is when you watch that and say if everyone on the on the u.s team had played as well as tim way i was playing in, in those uh clips what would the overall out effect have been? And it's like we would have been that would have been a completely different looking game. Yeah. So you know, Tim Weah coming into this wasn't necessarily a lock for for the for a starting eleven, but until further notice, I'd say he is now based on this game and the Mexico game. I've, I'd have him uh, occupying that left wing opposite Pulisic for sure. Yeah, you just feel like good things are going to happen when he gets on the ball, and if we could, if he could play with a team that that can get him the ball in dangerous spots more often, gotta imagine good things will come out of that. Um, he he, his off the ball movement was not really rewarded last night very much at all. Uh, he, Bradley tried to play him play a diagonal ball to him a couple times, but it was always kind of speculative. I thought it was fast. I thought it was awesome that one of the quotes he gave Grant Wall about getting his first regular season PSG goal and being on the cover of uh, L'Equipe. He said, I'm going to quote it. I'm going to read the quote directly. I felt awesome getting my first goal and being on the cover the next day, but I wasn't completely satisfied because I know I have to do it week in and week out if I want to be the best and if I want to explode. Just being on the cover isn't good enough for me. I want to be a household name. I want to be on everyone's TV. I want to be on all the magazine covers. <laughs> That's what I'm working toward. <laughs> I love it, man. Get it. You know, no, Get it, no half it. measures here. Right? <laughs> Tim Way, I like, wh- what's the point if you're not going to try to be that? So, I guess not. Yeah. I love that. I amazing. Mean, it's totally amazing. over the top, well, but it's awesome. Yeah. So between his assist to Bobby Wood, that pass, and, and that interview to Grant Wall, uh, I mean, that's made this entire window worth it for me. So uh, Tim Weah, MVP so far through October. Yep. No disagreement here. And then Dave Sarakin, how do we rate his performance? And I guess, well, overall, how do we rate his performance? Um, you're talking overall for uh, Columbia last night? Or are you talking overall for the 11 months that he's been sort of running the, the show? Mm. I mean, we kind of roll it into one. I think you've made the point that he 
he he was wise to switch to the four two three one. That was a decision he made. That was good, and I think you had a couple other in mind, uh, other ideas in mind for good decisions he's made. Well, I mean, dropping Will Trap in my mind is a good decision and not an easy one. Sort of, uh, I guess I'll say politically. Or, uh, I mean, he has to take the guy who's been his captain for six games and uh, put him on the bench and basically say Michael Bradley's a better version of you. So, uh, credit to him to sort of have, having the having the guts to make that decision. Um, I think tactically, uh, Sarakin, either Sarakin has been found out or uh, he's been found out that he can't communicate his tactics well enough to his team. Uh, again, I think that defending yesterday in that 4-4-2 could have worked, uh, but Seth was uh, such a disaster and it just went unchecked. Uh, his solution was to switch Seth to the right side. Immediately after Columbia's first goal, Seth and Wea switched wings. Uh, but Seth didn't, he didn't adjust any of Seth's actual play. He just moved him to the other side thinking that could disguise him. Uh, but again, in the four, four, two, every, all, all 11 of your guys have to be moving sort of as one unit. If one of you, if Seth breaks down on the right side, you might see it manifest somewhere on the left side anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, Sarakin, I think is at some point the fault lies on Sarakin for not communicating what needed to happen to, to his team. Yeah, and I couldn't really discern uh, what the attacking plan was either. You know, I uh, it's, it did seem a little bit like we were kind of all all over the place and everyone kind of playing their own kind of version of what it should be. I don't know. I mean, we we weren't we weren't decisive in when we in moments of transition at all. I mean, only Timmy Weah was Timmy Weah was the only one who looked like he was. He was ready to get after it when, when we when we got a turnover and started moving the other way. Everybody else was just kind of like, ah, I don't know. I'll just pass it back to Matt Miazga. And um, yeah, there so was there know. was quite a bit of dallying once we once we sort of win a ball. Uh, and then and then I think the next step then is to so if we're not trying to get on the break and like go, even if it's sort of low percentage, like uh, you you say, all right, well this will be our best chance, so we're just going to go for it. If you're not going to do that, then what are you trying to do when you have the ball and you can expand and build? And, you know, I I think I mentioned this to you before. What I usually look for is what do the center backs do when they have time? Uh, Because I think that tells you what you're trying to do. Are they always playing it out wide to Yedlin and Robinson and trying to start from there? Are they always playing it to Bradley uh, dropping behind in between them? Are they looking to break the line and hit it up to either Green's feet or Seth's feet or Weah's feet? Uh, are they lofting hopeful balls to Bobby Wood? Um, and there wasn't really any plan. It didn't look like there was any coherent plan. Yeah, there weren't there any no patterns. pattern that was repeating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so to an extent, I think that's probably on Sarakin as well. Yeah, he's done a good job of um, a good job, but I think an expected job of bringing in a lot of young guys and getting them minutes. And I, you know, hats off for that, but. I am excited for whoever the next coach will be, <clears throat> Greg Berhalter, <laughs> to take over and and put his stamp on the on the team. It will be it will be a pleasant change to see again like an actual coherent plan from a team, and maybe that won't be in November, maybe it won't be in January, but uh, hopefully by the knockout rounds in June. Uh, we're starting to see that. Yeah. 
Well, if if nothing else, Berhalter is kind of known as being meticulous, right? That's his, mm-hmm. that's his reputation. Let's talk about the some of the subs who came on, or, or maybe we haven't even talked about Bobby Wood yet. But well, Bobby Wood, uh, do do you want to talk about Bobby Wood? I feel like he's such a known commodity. Uh, it was par, yeah, it was par for the course. Workmanlike, Bobby brought his lunch bucket and thrashed home a delicious ball from Timmy Weah. I don't, I don't know that he had anything else uh, notable, good or bad, happen on the game other than that goal. Yeah, that's that is so so Bobby Wood. Like, uh, don't buy into any of the. Well, he scored two goals in the Bundesliga, so he's. He never really went away for the U.S. He always basically put in a consistent performance, uh, and he's going to keep doing that. Yeah, I'm 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 a I'm okay with him starting, and the competition for that starting job would be coming from Andrea Novakovic and Josh Josh Sargent. Boy, that name is hard it's coming to from say Josh fast. Sargent. Just 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 bells. <laughs> just say it's coming from Josh Sargent. Okay, it's coming from Josh Sargent. Uh, Sargent got, came on for the last 10 minutes or so, had a had one nice moment when he took it down the wing and squared Fafa Picot, another sub in the box. But Picot basically whiffed on it, didn't he? I think he just swung and missed. Yeah, yeah, he like did the old hit his plant foot after he, after he took an air kick. Uh, Sargent, yeah, that's a really great moment for Josh Sargent, and it kind of breaks down into three little uh skills right he had the he had the little faint and turn as he received the ball to to get behind the uh the center back with with no, nothing else right i mean he didn't really have any other options it's not like he was gonna hit somebody through or the defender didn't have to make any choice he just got stone beaten uh and then sergeant was strong enough to hold off hold him off and ride the ball into the box uh and then he had to pick out a pass which wasn't a, an obvious pass like there columbia was clogging that box up and he hit the one lane to Pico's feet uh, that was available. So real credit to Josh Sargent to sort of show off three, three little nuanced skills in one 30 second sequence within a 10 minute cameo. Yeah, totally. I mean, if I'm going to nitpick, which I am going to nitpick a little bit here, uh, I think the pass could have been a little bit more out in front of Pico. It was the right choice, obviously, and I'm, and he's 18 years old, so huge credit to him for that. But the pass was a little – it wasn't behind Picot, but it, it gave Picot a little bit less of an opportunity to 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 end up on the end of it. But that's just a little nitpick. Moving moving on. Uh, Novak, I mean, do you object to that? or? I object. I think that's – that is nah, – no, I, I don't object because we just, we just saw Columbia hit like four – uh, Columbia in that game probably had like five, again, top class services. So I think you can see where the bar is set if you want to be one of the best players in the world. And so, yes, hitting the ball to the exact right spot is is the bar. Uh, I'll watch it again a- to see if I even agree with you. But, <laughs> it wasn't a perfect pass. You, yeah, if, if the pass could have be- put Pico in a slightly better position, then that's the pass you need to be working towards. Novakovic, he didn't really make an impact, I don't think, um, and neither did Fafa Picot. And Ben Sweat, he was, he wasn't any any better than Anthony Robinson, was he? No, he had his own little uh, like embarrassing moment too. 
uh, and I'll, I'll have to look back at which play it was, but it definitely led to a real good Columbia chance. Uh, again, it's just a weird not understanding of what the system was, and I'm just sort of assuming that I understand what the system was, that it was, it was 4-4-2, but Sweat just came crashing up like off the ball to defend a center mid from receiving it with his back to goal. Uh, and as the center mid received it, it was just a simple layoff, and then they just pinged the ball through into the space Sweat vacated and turned into a real desperation situation for everyone else. Um, just, you know, he's gonna, everyone's going to make some errors like that, but when you do something that egregious in a 20-minute spell, you, you got to assume that it's not an outlier. It's going to happen a lot. Uh, yeah. Sweat doesn't seem like he's going to be the solution. Right. Okay. I think that covers it. We covered the waterfront. Anything Anything else you want to say? Yeah, here's what I'm going to say, Bells. This is my little wild card to end on. Uh, we play Peru in a few days. Uh, I, I want you, you were saying we'll probably see Julian Green as a 10. I'm going to throw this out there for everyone to to ponder. I want to see Tim Weah play the 10. Hmm. I want Tim Weah to start as the 10. Um, I think that the way we played it under Dave Serkin, at least, is we we play in a forward. It's basically just a recessed forward role. I think Weah is more comfortable comfortable on the ball than just about anybody else in this roster and potentially anyone else in the pool. Uh, he has good vision. He's always in control of the situation when he's on the ball. Uh, he sort of leads defenders where he wants, and if he can't get him where he wants, he's still able to find another outlet pass. Uh, if he does get him where he wants, he's able to make clever, insightful, disguised passes. He is remarkably think, ball secure for an 18-year-old attacker. Oh, it's it's like uncanny. Uh, I don't think I don't think I've seen him like dribble into a dead end at any point. Uh, whereas Green, Seth, Ariola, like that's essentially all they do is they dribble themselves into a dead end, put their body between the defender and the ball, and hope to get a foul call. Uh, Wayo's the opposite, man. He always has a, an out. He always leaves himself an out. Um, and with Jonathan Amon in camp, I'm hoping that Amon splits out wide left and Tim Wea, uh gets a shot underneath Josh Sargent. Give me that. Dave Sarakin. I don't know who's, who's playing. Who's, who's your other wing? <laughs> who's your other wing? It's going to be either Kellen Acosta, uh, Julian Green, or or uh, Kenny Saif. Well, I'd take any of them. I think the experiment should be Tim Weah as the ten, and I don't even care what happens once he gives the ball to that right winger. Just let me see if he can do it. Yeah. All right. I don't hate it. I I worry that there that we it would be setting up. Wea for a bit of failure since it's not really a, a, a position he's played much and while he is pretty ball secure I don't know if that would translate to you know sort of a 360 degree situation in the middle of the field but I'm not going to say we shouldn't try it yeah I don't know either I just feel like uh the bar's been set so low that I don't want to I, I, I want to see if we do have somebody who can sort of clear it comfortably and way I think has the skill set to do it. Well, that's a fun idea to end on and one that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> Thanks for All right, I'll be happy with Delgado. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Greg. Uh, we'll see you.